All right, folks, you are listening to the Eshai Fleischer Show on uh, no network exactly yet, but we are back and we are broadcasting on EshaiFleischer.com. And maybe there's something in the future uh, very soon coming up. And uh, if you're part of uh, the fan base of the Eshai Fleischer Show and what we do here, we are going to uh, keep broadcasting. So you got to stay tuned and stay connected because we're going to keep doing it because nothing is going to stop our amazing broadcast from Israel including Spiritual Cafe, which is uh, one of the most important uh, broadcasts that we had at Voice of Israel, and it continues right here with Rabbi Mike Foyer. Rabbi Mike, welcome to the program. I'm so glad to see you, Shaq. Yes, and we are here at the beautiful Begin Center in Jerusalem, uh, not in our old studios, but we keep broadcasting. Am I right? we got to just keep on going on. We've got to keep doing it. Listen, you know, a tzaddik falls seven times and gets up. It's not someone who doesn't fall down. It's someone who knows how to get up when he does. That's right. The righteous fall down seven times. Uh, and also, in general, all the business books say you gotta you got to take a fall. And you gotta, you got to know how to take it on the chin to get back up there and beat the bad guy. Speaking of be- beating the bad guy, today's spiritual cafe uh, is about Parshat Kiteitze, the Torah portion of Kiteitze. When you go out to war, and it's in the book of Deuteronomy, around chapters uh, 20, uh, 21, and for a few chapters after that. And it's an incredible collection of uh, laws. It's an incredible collection of laws uh, having really to do with, with society, how society should actually uh, run right, uh, uh, everything from uh, from dealing with um, with rape and dealing with um, adultery, things like that, to just helping the next guy with his luggage and his stuff, uh, how to go out to war, and finally how to deal with the Amalekites, who are the sworn enemy of the Jewish people. It happens to be that one of the greatest chidushim, um, innovations of my Torah career, <laughs> happened in this, in this week's Torah portion, and that is with regard to the very interesting uh, commandment to shoo away the mother bird when you want to gather up either the chicks or the eggs that are hers, in order not to hurt her feelings, not to have her see her children be taken away from her. You have to shoo away the mother bird. And uh, it was many years ago that I thought, well, an alternative meaning to this could be that if you want to take the next generation to yourself, you want to bring them to Israel or to Judaism, sometimes you have to shoo away the parents in order to actually get these uh, the next generation to be yours, and I thought I thought I thought to myself if I would say this publicly, people are going to hang me. Uh, so instead, I kept it to myself until I found a balaturim that says exactly that on on this verse. He says uh, he he links it up to uh, he links up a word here to the song of the Az Yashir song when the Jewish people left the land of Egypt, and he says, you see, this word shows that God. Um, in, before taking the Jews into the land of Israel, he had to get rid of a whole generation, and then he brought uh, the children into the land. And that's exactly what, what we have to do today. And I was like gratified that, that the same thought actually happened about the very same issue about bringing Jews to the land of Israel. Oh, I can tell you, having taught many post-high school students whose parents send them to Israel for a year in order to get religiously strengthened and strengthened in Zionism, we all knew, we didn't like to speak about it, but we all knew that there was nothing that would kill an institution faster than having large numbers of your students stay in Israel. Right. Because the the parents want them to come and get strong, but not too strong. Get religious, but not too religious. right? Because everybody's afraid of breaking the paradigm of the past. I'm, I'm going to see your chiddush, your innovation, and up you one. Because as you were speaking, it occurred to me that this is also true about ourselves. That, that if we really want to change and grow, 
We want to take that sort of the new thing which is being offered that we stumble upon as we're walking through the fields. So we're, what we really need to do is learn to see the world in a very different place, a very different way. We need to sort of shoo away our own old self, the parent that we are that gives birth to the child I am this morning. I know it may sound a little bit hokey, but, but I think that a lot of the times the things that prevent us from seeing the opportunities that are right in front of us is because we've learned to see the world in a specific way. Uh, sometimes I'm in a synagogue and there's nobody saying the Kaddish prayer, which is the mourner's prayer. And the law is that if nobody's saying it, somebody who can say it, who has already lost a parent, should say it. So I end up saying it sometimes. And then I think to myself, well, though I'm not saying Kaddish for anybody specific, why don't I just say it for myself that was yesterday mm. or for the minute before? Like, that person's gone. That's true. And we have to be reborn, and we have to also let go of the past and forget it in some, in some sense, forget about <laughs> we're, we're historical, and yet at the same time not to be locked into the paradigms of the past. Uh, I'll tell you the secret. The, you know, I teach history elsewhere. And, and for me, the, the word history, of course, there's no word in Hebrew for history. Right, you go into a class in Israeli university, they'll call it historia. Right? The Tanakh doesn't have such a word. The word that we have is memory. And memory is only um, nominally about the past. right? Because, of course, you in the present summon up what, me- what memories that you summon up. And, and furthermore, you in the present is a very fleeting phenomenon because you know, to be present to the present is not so simple. I don't know if you do any meditation or, or uh, mindfulness work, but it's not easy. So reality is, is we're moving toward the future. And so memory becomes a dialogue about who you are now with the past about the future, right? You, you are always born anew in that sense. And it's the greatest aspect of our belief in God, actually, that we're not locked into some deterministic thing that already happened, which we're just playing out. We are in the present, moving toward a future which we can choose, and we're in dialogue with our memory of the past about what meaning and how we're going to get there. Well... This Torah portion has got one of the famous remember commandments. And that is to remember how Amalek, this uh, bizarro anti-Jewish nation, uh, struck you in the desert when you left Egypt. And uh, they attacked you from the rear. There's all kinds of uh, connotations of of this attacked you from the rear, including uh, kind of rape. A physical rape that happened there, but certainly also um, hitting your weak ones, the ones that are that have fallen behind, the ones that are outside of the circle, the ones that are outside uh, the weak members of society. And those folks were tired, and this is I'm reading by the way from uh, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25, uh, and God says the Torah says, Hashem misaviv." When God will help you kind of overcome all your enemies that are surrounding you. Ba'aretz, in the land, Asher Hashem lokecha noten lach nachala l'rishta, which God, Hashem your God, gives you as, a, as an inheritance, destroy the memory of Amalek from under the heavens, don't forget. So, so there's three consciousnesses, three ideas of remembering. First, remember what he did, remember to erase his memory. Don't forget. So actually, it's four, right? Uh, anyway, the, the bottom line is, is that a, a whole uh, interchange between the Torah and us about remembering the bad guys and destroying their very memory. And then that right there is a setup of a paradigm, an obvious paradigm, which is remember and to destroy their memory. I mean, I can't help but saying we're sitting here in the Begin Center, right? I mean, Menachem Begin, who was a, a true hero and leader of the Jewish people, whose attachment to the, his memory of the history 
of the Jewish people as well as to the the struggles and tragedies of his present life drove him in a way which I can't even imagine the powers that he summoned up from within himself to really serve the Jewish people. A- and that's this phase, I think, that comes in the beginning. Why do we have to remember what they did to us right up until God gives us rest from all our enemies? Because once God gives us rest from all our enemies, now we have to actually get rid of that memory. And we can't forget to do that. And that's how I understand it, is that, that memory of, of the fact that we are God's people and there's opposition to us in the world is critical for our mission, for getting into the land, from finding, finding redemption in the land. But once we actually have that redemption, we've summoned up the inner strength to defeat our enemies, then we actually have to erase the memory that they ever existed. Because it's going to be a new paradigm. It's going to be redemption. And we're not going to be fueled by the, the memories of the tragedies and the enemies of the past. We're going to be fueled by a vision of a redeemed future. And yet, yet you find that um, one of the things that Begin had to fight, and we have to fight all the time, is a memoryless society which uh, will import liberal consciousness uh, that uh, you know, exists uh, while driving down the calm highways of the United States or going to Target mm-hmm. and forgetting that you are a Target, right? Well, I and, and, and <laughs> my point is is that I'm oftentimes faced with people who will, will refuse to face the reality and the challenges of the Middle East and the reality that actually it's the enemy that wants to erase our history and that we cannot erase the reality of that effort and it's exactly the opposite. People are trying to erase the reality that there's a Hamas and there's others that are erasing our efforts. So the, it, the world is backwards. Well, they just want to skip the process. I mean, as you pointed out, it's a process. And I think one of the great um, saving graces of the Jewish people is that we are merciful and kind by nature. And we desire that the whole world be redeemed. We have a really hard time in the present era understanding that we're in the middle, not the end. Right and and the, that desire to pretend that Hamas doesn't exist, that we don't really have enemies, is a redemptive desire. I mean, what do people say? Come on, you, like, can't we just get along? Right? Aren't we all really friends at heart? If we can just learn to speak to each other, I mean, these things are all true in a sort of idealistic fashion. But the reality is that I think this is why the Torah starts with remember what they did. Only once God gives you rest in the land from then it'll be critical to have the same attitude. But if you do it too early, what you do is basically bare your throat. Right, right. Um, that that consciousness of of what you do when everything is good is, is still is still kind of far away from us. Oh, you're saying that some people kind of think that they're already there. They, well, part of it has to do, I think, with the American experience, right? Because it is a taste of redemption in that sense of of peacefulness and acceptance. I think also part of it has to do with it could be a drug. That, it could be a drug. Oh, for sure. And part of it has to do with weariness. Right. But I think more than anything, it, it has to do with the confusion of the fact that we are halfway there. Right. We're in the land. Look where we're sitting. And we have, we don't have perfect rest, but I mean, thank God. Like, you know. I think it also has a, a kind of on a simpler level, it has something to do with the fact that I, th- I think people don't remember the lessons. And I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you the most striking version of this I ever saw. Exactly. Uh, there's, um, there's good folks that make these cute little YouTube cartoons called Godcast. Right. Yeah, great. Great stuff. G-D cast. Great stuff. Really fun, fun for yeah, kids. Yeah, I love it. And they have one, you have to see it, it's about Esther. It's about the scroll of Esther. Mm-hmm. You know, we're dealing with Amalek. Sure. So in the scroll of Esther version of this cartoon, basically what happens is, is that this proud Esther stands up and tells the king, hey, there's somebody that wants to destroy us. 
mm-hmm. and and uh, please save us. And the king's like, who would do such a thing? I'll take care of it. The end. Really? And he takes care of it. There is no part in the God cast, which is the Jews fight. we slaughter our enemies? Right. No, the king, the Gentile king is like, all right, I got it. Interesting. That's it. And that's cool. She And her great moment was this, that she stood up as a proud Jewess and said, you know, this is wrong. This is dangerous. I mean, it's half the story. Right. <laughs> but that part, exactly. But that well, part, You know why? Because that other part is, is morally complex. <laughs> Meaning it's morally very simple to stand up and assert what's right and then let somebody else actually do the dirty work of destroying your enemy. But destroying your enemy is morally complex. It's not right. ever simple. And in, even if your enemy is totally wrong and evil and et cetera, it's never going to be simple because what it takes to actually fight will change you and will affect the world and things, mistakes will be made, right. decisions that you might regret, you know, and, and, and that's reality. Yeah. Well, my grogger went, uh, it went silent. <laughs> okay? At that moment. At that moment because I had, I had no moment to, to, to cheer in the hanging of the Ten Sons of Haman. But as you said, it's perfectly descriptive of the American Jewish experience. Right. And I have to be fair here. There's another uh, remember in this Torah portion in Kitetse, in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 24, and that is, Mm -hmm. Remember that you too were a slave in the land of Egypt. I, I, uh, I command, and therefore I command you to do this, which is to judge between people, uh, to 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 protect uh, the uh, the proselyte, the uh, orphan, the widow. the widow, and the weak people of society, meaning to say, and, and make sure that they get extra. Be liberal, be liberal, be be be. Uh, you know, make sure that you have a, a democracy and or whatever it is that that uh, whatever government system that takes care of the poor. But it's one and the same commandment. Tikkun Yeah, but it's one and the same commandment. You see, which is that don't disconnect your present from your past in order to build some future you think you want. Because if you do that, the future will not actually be whole and real. You must enter into a dialogue. There must be an understanding of where you came from. You don't have to let it define you, but you need to know what it was. I think it has something to do with, you know when you see a musician hit low notes and high notes or Mm. or a guitarist who can do all kinds of different things and you're like, "That, that, that musician is very versatile. Right. He's versatile. You have to have emotional versatility as well, You're right? You got to be like, you got to know how to be good to the good guys and have a real, truly kind face, and then really bad to the bad guys, and and like and like have this like, and people can't can't have those two emotions kind of coexist, and I think that's what the Torah is asking asking of us to have that kind of emotional versatility. Well, it's it's funny you say that because my research for for another part of my life, I've actually been looking into something called emotional creativity, mm-hmm. and it's characterized by exactly what you said which is most people feel like consistency is the hallmark of integrity right Right. okay how could i feel one way now and another way other way that wasn't a genuine emotion whereas research is showing today that actual real emotional creativity that opens the door for a rich emotional life and for 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 newness is the ability to hold that contradiction say well yeah yeah really i had a really angry vengeful side and i also am very loving and kind and those two may seem to contradict but i can hold that because not everything this is an idea of, of consistency is is a very small lens to put down on the right. complexity of life it's square yeah it's square it's two-dimensional it's limited and you got to have the ability and and uh, you know you you if you if you love the good people let's put it right in in real terms i, I don't want i don't want to beat around the bush here let's say here in israel 
there's Arabs or, or minorities in general who live amongst us, and they want to live and work and appreciate the Jewish state. Mm-hmm. Great. And I can, I can see that. And then there are people amongst them that are jihadists who want to destroy the Jewish state. I say the Jewish state can give rights and, and freedoms and opportunities to the, those minorities that, that want to be loyal to the state and then be incredibly uncompromising with those that want to be non-compromising with us. Yeah, I think of the model of the post-World War II denazification that happened in Germany. How is it possible that Germany, in the space of 20 years, went from being you know, a, a monster nation to a strong pillar of like Western democratic society. It, it, exactly through the process you're speaking about, which is they went literally person by person and say, well, what do you think? Where are you holding? You're in or you're out. You know, if you want to be really be part of this polity, then you gotta, you got to agree to the rules. And I think the problem is we're not willing to assert ourselves because we want, like in your Godcast example, we want someone else who's not a Jew to come along and just take care of the dirty business. Now, speaking of dirty business and polarities, uh, one of the, uh, polarities that is discussed, if you actually look uh, closely in this Torah portion, is the polarity of man and woman. Oh, yes. It is a recurring theme in many different ways, including, for example, the issue of divorce, mm-hmm. which is an incredible innovation of the Bible and the Torah in general, which is if you're going to uh, find an inability to coexist together, Yes, there's such a thing as divorce, and it'll be a commandment. It'll be done properly. A great protection, certainly, for women, but also a great hope for people who sometimes end up in a bad situation. You know, and, and here's, a, here's a very complex moral issue. Well, well, didn't God put you into this marriage? Didn't mm-hmm. you make the right choice? Now you have to dissolve this marriage. And the Torah says, yes, there's a system for that as well. So the, you know, there's, in this week's Torah portion, there's, there's issues of, of rape and, and the... Um, uh, woman that you kind of uh, pick up in battle, all kinds of situations. But let's talk about a little bit about this issue of divorce, which I know so many people struggle with. And the Torah says this, there's a right way to do it. I, I think that um, the, one of the challenges of understanding divorce is that we all sense, either intuitively or because of our learning, that the model of relationship between man and woman is the model of relationship between humanity and God. Mm-hmm. And, and particularly the, the passionate relationship between Israel and God. So, like, where's the place for divorce? And we see repeatedly that Israel, the prophets ex- insist that God will never send us away. And this is why um, certain aspects of the Christian world rejected divorce, because on a theological ground, they said, you know, sorry, you know, just like God takes people and keeps them, apparently, at least after one event, right? So then, then you know, man and woman can't separate. But the reality is, is that... How do they deal with this biblical passage? Uh, well, as they deal with many of the other biblical passages, that that was a period of time. I mean, it's actually quite easy if you want to know what they say is that that indicates that God will reject the Jewish people and is, and is a passing phase of history so, as so, the commandments oh, were. I see. So, and therefore, once the new covenant arises, the ideal relationship will emerge between God and spiritual Israel. And that's what the early church called itself. And, um, and that's it. And they, they transcended all the laws. I mean, they also eat pork and, and drive on Shabbat. I mean, <laughs> why should it surprise you that... They, I just, it's just kind of funny to me that the covenant that's unbreakable in, by that theory is broken, and yet this commandment of to divorce, this, 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 uh, it's not a commandment to divorce, it's, a, it's if you're going to divorce, there's the right way, procedural way to do it, which is so important in, in this world in some sense, although obviously abused, that that would be thrown away. I think that's... Um, you know, I don't think that gives the Bible much credit. In any case, um, 
So you you have this this divorce procedure procedure, which is very exacting in Jewish law. You have to have an exact you know name and, and terms and where and how, and it's got to be delivered in a very exact fashion. Yet it's very much done. At the same time, just a few verses later, it says, when a man will take a, a new woman into his life, he shouldn't go out to war to the army for the uh, uh, for the first year. He should have a kind of a clean year. And and kind of be bonded together with his wife, right? To to make her joyful, as the text says, right, right. And and I think it's because of like divorce is seen as a response to hatred. It says if a person hates their wife, mm-hmm. right, because it is a commandment, by the way, according to Rashi, at least, right, right. It's a commandment that you should never live with someone you hate. Now, there's there you have to understand what hate is, as opposed to the difficulties that marriage always offers, right? And that's one of the problems I think in the world today is that the ease. It, with which we accept divorce, right. it's, it, it takes away the strong container of marriage that allows us to overcome real difficulties, right? And, and I think it's, it's tragic in our social fabric that we accept divorce the way we do because it prevents us from rising above what are real difficulties, but often ones that could lead to a deeper relationship. And I think that that's the, the wisdom that the Torah is offering, is that, mm-hmm. is that it is true, sometimes things fall apart. But the, but the reality is, is that sometimes they fall apart, and when they come back together, the power which they have is something which you can never imagine. I mean, maybe, I mean, you've been married for, for quite some time. Maybe you can think, I know I can think of situations with my wife where terrible things have happened. We've had fights or disagreements or whatever. And, I, and afterwards, the intimacy and the strength of our relationship is so much greater that I realized, wow, if that, if that terrible thing hadn't happened, we would not be where we are now. And it's not like I would seek out such a bad thing. Right. right? But it's the commitment to the marriage that allows you to build a container that can hold that difficulty, which causes a stronger bond to emerge. And I think that, that, that that's really the Jewish view on divorce. And at the same time, there is an acceptance of the fact that people make wrong decisions. And by the way, also that people change. Because right? you can make a right decision at a certain point in your life and everybody changes. So divorce is, uh, uh, if, if you're going to do it, there's a commandment to do it. Um, of course, they'll try to dissuade you, try to send you to counseling here in Israel first. The rabbinate sure. will send you to counseling. Uh, but one thing that's never going to divorce is the covenant between the Jewish people and the God of Israel, and also uh, between the Jewish people and the land of Israel, between God of Israel and the land of Israel. These are unbreakable covenants, and we are seeing that indeed, uh, while there was this horrible break, uh, this this incredible uh, destructive period, the last 2,000 years of, of our exile, uh, indeed, we are in the process of redemption. And sometimes people say to me, Ishai, we are all in Gullus. We're all in. Uh, uh, we are all in um, in a state of what do we call that? Exile in a state of uh, kind of being cast away from God, and it's all the same. And I give them a parable. I say, listen, there's two women in a room. They're both single women. Okay, they're both single women. One, her husband just died, and the other one is engaged, betrothed to be married. Yes, they're both single women. It's not, that's right, technically speaking, they're both single. Except one is mourning her loss and one is getting ready for a great marriage. We're, are we all in Gullus? We're all in exile? It's all the same? For the last 2,000 years, we've been cast away. Now we're standing before this great renewal, this great renaissance and, and, and a period of the third temple. To equate those is, is, so, is, is so wrong and it's so simplistic. We're in a much better period right now. We're in an incredible period. We have to recognize that. I find that, Marshall, very moving because it says that with all the struggles that we have here in the land of Israel, that what we need is a posture of love, of love and excitement and, and a realization that the past doesn't always define the future. 
and 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 that sometimes our desire and our excitement for what the future can be can actually cause something new to emerge. Rabbi Mike Foyer, that is all the time that we have. You're the educational director of Beit Midrash Sulam Yaakov. You join me every week. God willing. Uh, that's right. We Most weeks, in any case. Last week you were on vacation. We missed you. We read emails. Uh, but Spiritual Cafe is an integral part of uh, broadcasting from Israel. Uh, check us out at yishayfleischer.com and the iTunes as well. And uh, stay tuned. We may have some exciting new news about new platforms uh, that will get out uh, the great voice of Israel to you wherever you are. Rabbi Mike, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you so much, Rabbi Mike, and thank you out there wherever you are. Write me an email at yishayfleischer.com, yishayfleischer.com. I can't wait to hear from you. God bless and Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.